I want you to take your Bible this morning and turn with me to Acts chapter 2, and the Lord willing, I'll deal with this chapter this morning. I announced it yesterday, and as I have said before, some preachers say we're going to preach from this text, and they preach as far from it as you can get and never get back to it. And that's the way I was yesterday. I preached as far from it, even though it was all introductory. But I'm preaching a series this week on salvation. Now, salvation, hallelujah, is the most important truth in the scriptures, because that's what the scriptures are all about. Hey, and when you get saved, that's just the be that that is really the end of all that God has for you. But it's the front end and not the back end. So when you get saved, that's just the beginning. It's just the start then. But praise the Lord. Those of you who are lost, we want to see God save you. And I don't care when, I don't care how, and I don't care where. Just as long as you get saved. That's the most important thing about this meeting right here. That's what this meeting's all about, is telling the world about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to I want to shout it from the housetop that the gospel is called a glorious gospel. It's glorious. It's not that which takes away the good and gives you the bad. It's that which takes away the bad and gives you the good. So I'm grateful to God for the truth. Let's read in Acts chapter 2. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Parthenians and Medes and Elamites and dwellers of Mesopotamia, and in Judea and Cappadocia, in Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, in Egypt and in the parts of Libya, about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, You men of Judea and all you that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my word. Now let's stop right there and let me go, first of all, and develop a spiritual principle. Usually when folks study Acts chapter 2, they get caught up in the manifestation of tongues. And it becomes an issue. And if you ever let a passage of Scripture become an issue between people, it takes you away from the main purpose and motive of God. And so this is what happens so many times when you study Acts chapter 2. Because we start dividing ourselves as to whether or not we believe in speaking in tongues or don't believe in speaking in tongues. Now I believe in speaking in tongues. I believe in speaking in English. And I don't know why people want other tongues. I've got enough trouble with the one I already got without wanting another one. I can't bring it under control, much less have another one. But see, tongues is not the issue. But if you get off on that issue, you're going to get sidetracked. And you're going to get off in a field and in an area where you don't belong. So that's not the issue in this passage of Scripture. The tongues, the languages that were given to these disciples was given to them for the communication of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ so that those from all those nations could get saved and hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's don't get caught up in the manifestation of the tongues of fire. That was necessary for the communication of the truth of God. But when you, when you see this scripture, you just remember this. This is the Holy Ghost enablement for the disciples to preach the gospel to the world. And what we're needing nowadays, ladies and gentlemen, is not just the emphasis on you sinners getting saved, 
but on us being spirit-filled by the presence and power of the Holy Ghost so we can get the gospel across to those who are unsaved. Let me tell you what the biggest problem in this day. Our biggest problem is not over the multitude of lost people. Our problem is the unfilled people of the Spirit of God who are attempting to do the work of God without any power. There's where the problem lies. But we don't want to put it, the responsibility on us. Oh, why did Paul say be filled with the Holy Ghost? They were not able to preach at Pentecost without the filling of the Spirit of God. And I still believe in the filling of the Spirit of God. Not for me to speak in tongues, but for the communication of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that I can preach under the anointing of God and with the power of the Holy Ghost so that when people hear it, they're moved by what God does in me. See, sometimes we forget that the Holy Ghost lives in you preachers and in us as children of God. And if we want more power of God, we don't need to pray for God to get on the sinners. We need to pray for God to get on the saints and get on the sinners through the saints. What happens at Pentecost? They are filled with the Spirit of God. But I tell you what, in our day, we're filled with suffering, resentment and bitterness and all kind of things. And we want to depend on the Spirit of God to fall fresh upon sinners when we're not in the condition for God to work through us. Oh, would to God we could get back to the feeling of the Spirit of the living God and get the work of God done. But there's a spiritual principle here that I want to deal with this morning that if you miss this, you miss what Acts chapter 2 is all about. I want to develop as much of this as I can, but look at verse number 12. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying, one to another, what meaneth this. Now if you look at that little phrase, what meaneth this? You're likely to think that this is just an inclusion in this passage of scripture that has no scripture validity or foundation in the Old Testament. But you've got to understand what this meant at Pentecost. To do that, let's go back in the book of Exodus. Go back to Exodus chapter 12 with me. Now, you're familiar with the Passover. And I'll not deal with the Passover in, in Exodus chapter 12. But God commanded them when they, when they would go into the land of Canaan, and when they were to keep the feast and to keep the Passover. And look at the reasoning in verse number 26. And it shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, What mean ye? Now look at this. What mean ye? Remember Acts chapter 2? What meaneth this? What mean ye by this service? Notice the this. What mean ye by this? What meaneth this? What mean ye by this? Now this is an Old Testament principle. And he said, what your children are going to say what do you mean by the service? In other words, what do you mean by the way you live? What do you mean by the way you conduct yourself? What do you mean by the, by the Passover that you're keeping? What do you mean by the feast days that you're keeping? You say, well, preacher, we don't have any feast times, and we don't have to keep the Passover like that. Just remember Acts chapter 2, because I'm coming back to that. What mean? What mean? What do you mean by this? So he says to them, you keep the service. And your children will say, what do you mean by this service? And look at verse 27. And ye shall say, this is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt, when ye smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses. And the people bowed their head and worshiped. You know what God said? God said, I want you to keep this Passover so that when your children see it, they'll say to you, what does this mean? And you'll get to tell them how God brought you out of Egyptian bondage. In other words, today, he's saying that the children of God ought to live in such a fashion that when their children say, why do you live so dedicated? And why do you go to church? And why do you do all of this? You can say, one day I was a lost sinner and Jesus Christ, by the blood of the Lamb, brought me out of bondage. And it gives you an opportunity to witness to your children if you're what you're supposed to be. Just because you're what you're supposed to be doesn't mean the kids are going to turn out that way, but at least at the judgment bar of God, you won't be guilty if they didn't. Amen? 
Oh, but listen to me. What do you mean by this service that you're doing? Look in chapter number 13. Chapter number 13. Oh, look at verse number 8. And thou shalt show thy son in that day, saying, This is done. Look at this. Look at these words. This is done because of that which the Lord did unto me when I came forth out of Egypt. Verse number 10. Thou shalt therefore keep this ordinance, or this rule, or this law, in the season from year to year. Look at verse 14. And it shall be when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What is this? And thou shalt say unto him, By strength of hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of bondage. The same thing. One other passage. Turn with me to Joshua. By the way, are the mosquitoes bothering y'all? I got them up here. You know what I call these mosquitoes? They're participator motivators. probably won't raise your hand, but the one mosquito gets after you, you're going to go, Phew. and I'm likely to say, you're going glory. <laughs> so I got news for you visitors, if you don't act right, my security out there will open up the door and let our participator motivators get in here. <laughs> the best thing for you to do is just get in the spirit yourself without our motivators getting in here. Joshua 3, or 4, they just came out of the Jordan. Leave verse 19. And the people came up out of Jordan in the tenth day of the first month and encamped in Gilgal in the east border of Jericho. And by the way, that's the same time period that the first Passover was in Exodus chapter number 12. And it's the same symbolism, and it's just like a new beginning for them. Oh, when they came out of Egypt, that was one thing. And when they came out of Jordan, that was something else. But it was on the same time period, which is saying we're going we're to have a new beginning, but it's going back to the same one. Now, that's not saying you get saved twice, but it's just saying it's the same time period. Look at these 12 stones in verse number 20. Which they took out of the Jordan did Joshua pitch in Gilgal. And he spake unto the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean these stones? Then ye shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over the Jordan on dry land. And the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan from before you until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us until we were gone over, that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that ye might fear the Lord your God forever. See, God had the whole earth in mind. But he said, I want you to take 12 stones out of the Jordan and place those 12 stones in Gilgal as a reminder that when your children say, what mean these stones? You can tell them about the power of God that operated in your life. And you can tell them about the mighty demonstration that he gave. And you can tell him about the works of God that he has wrought in your life. And these stones will be a testimony to them. Now what was the purpose of these stones? Now you got to remember something. And, and I, I'm going back to Acts chapter 2. But I want you to see in the Old Testament, God's always had this method in mind. And he's got a principle at Pentecost that we must not forsake and we must not overlook. Here, when they placed it in Gilgal, these 12 stones came out of the Jordan. And they had a purpose. God had a purpose in mind with these stones that in and through these stones, he could reach the earth. Oh, you say, I didn't know that. That's what he said, that the whole earth might know that I'm God. He said, I got something in mind with these stones that's going to work. I got a purpose for these stones that in and through these stones, they will be an influence upon the others. I'm about to use my words in this order. You know, preachers got to have some kind of order to put this thing in. Well, first of all, it's the purpose. What was the purpose of the stones? And then second was the placement of these stones. He placed these stones where God chose for them to be because he had a purpose that in and through him, through them, he could make himself known. Now, before you get too far-fetched and think I'm too far-fetched, I want to tell you what the book of Peter says. We are lively stones. We're lively stones. Saints of God, we're lively stones. And I want you to know some God had a purpose when he saved you. He didn't save you just so you could go to heaven. In fact... If he just saved you to go to heaven, the rest of us would be better off if God killed you as soon as he saved you and took you on to heaven because we wouldn't have any backsliders. 
If he just left preachers and sinners, we wouldn't have any problem in churches. I'm not saying he did that. I'm saying that the only reason he had was to save you, to take you to heaven. Why didn't he take you to heaven as soon as he saved you? Do you even know what your purpose is? Do you know why he saved you and why he placed you where you are? Or are you just using your head for a mop? I mean, do you have any earthly idea what you're doing or why you're doing it? Don't you know that the great God of heaven has chosen lively stones to build, not just 12 stones out of the Jordan, but lively stones, the church of the living God, to make known the truth to the world. And everywhere you are, ever what town you're in, or whatever city you're in, or whatever country you're in, or whatever house you're in, or whatever church you're in, you're there for one purpose, and that is to make known the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and He won't do it without you. Because these stones had togetherness. Did you read what Acts said, chapter 2? They were in one accord. I want to say something right here very carefully. It is a shame and disgrace when we as preachers and church folks can't get along with each other and have unity and harmony in the preparation and preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Man, we get off on issues and we get off on things and we isolate and we pull over this little group and this little group and this little group. It's time that these little groups got together in one accord and realized that the purpose of the living stones is the preparation for the gospel of Jesus Christ to be preached in the power of the Holy Ghost. Now I want to say something to you. Don't you let your little petty issues or anything else stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We got one purpose and one purpose alone and that's to reach the earth for the Lord Jesus Christ and he wants some stones that are in harmony with each other and get along with each other no matter what. If it happens, the devil, we're going to get along with each other. I'm so sick and tired of this issue and that issue and then bringing up this issue and bringing up that issue and this little click and this little click and this little click. It's time we got over our little clicks and got into the business of God. There's a world out here who needs Jesus Christ. There are lost sinners in this building who need Jesus Christ. And we are not together sometimes, but we need to get together for the glory of God. And I don't mean just us in this building. And these stones were put on the Jordan. They came out of the same river, out of the same place. Did you get saved different than I did? Huh? Is he going to save you different from me? No, he's going to have to take you out of the same river that he got the rest of us out of. I'm glad, hallelujah. But he said, I want you to take these stones. I got a purpose for them. And I'm going to place them where I want them. And I can't emphasize this enough. It's imperative that you be where God wants you to be. We've got people sitting right here who are members of our church who drive 135 miles to be here. Now somebody would say, go join the church of your choice. There's no need of driving that distance. But you don't join the church of your choice. You join the church of God's choice. And then you solidify yourself with the other stones for the preaching of the gospel and a testimony. The purpose of these stones was testimony. Testimony of what? When the children would say, why are you like you are? How did you get to be different from the other folks? When the children say, 
the friends that I know at school, they don't live by the standards that you do. Why are you the way that you are? Why do you live the way that you do? Why do you talk the way that you do? Oh, it's a testimony to your children. But it's a testimony to the earth. It's a testimony to the community. It's a uh, testimony to the town. It's a testimony. You're the testimony. Wherever you are, for good or bad, you have a testimony. If you're not living right, then you're tearing down the purpose for which God saved you. So what are you saying? I told you likely to miss what's in Acts 2. It started off by saying they were in one accord. That's how it started. It started the Spirit of God fell upon a group of people who were in one accord. And I learned something there. You may as well forget the Holy Ghost falling on any group of people if there's not harmony among those who are responsible for those services. That's the reason why to me issues or anything else Hang them all in relationship to the salvation of souls. Say, why do you say that? They're not that important. Well, I'll tell you, if it was me out there, I'd want somebody to love me enough and to pull together for the glory of God and pray until the power of God fell upon some people who are united together. But you know what happens to happen now? We have to have the Holy Ghost fall to pull us together so not just to reach us sinners. Man, most of the time the saints are not in condition for the Spirit of God to fall upon the sinners. And we saints want to say, well, the sinners, they're not getting saved. Could it be that we're not spirit-filled? And could it be that we're not in harmony with each other? And could it be that there's not a spirit of oneness among us to where the Spirit of God can move upon us? You know what I found? There are some people with hold. I mean, they'll hold bitterness inside of them and they'll justify their coldness and their deadness and their rightness when they're wrong and they will sacrifice the salvation of souls for their little petty grievances. Well, I, I, seen, I told our folks, I said, we're changing the name of this town meeting. We're changing everything we're doing and we got one thing in mind and that's the evangelization of the world. We want to reach sinners. We want to see people saved. And we want to take the saints of God and let them be a testimony of God's grace. And let us live like we're supposed to for His glory. And when we live like we're supposed to, the power of God will start moving upon us. And sinners will start getting saved. Stones. But lively stones. You saints of God, you're lively stones. You've been placed there for a purpose. To be a testimony to the world and to be a testimony to the community. To be a testimony. I tell you what's killing us in our communities is those who are on our church rolls who say they're saved and they're living just like the world and they look like the world and they dress like the world and they act like the world. And we say, well, why don't you get saved? Because our testimony has the wrong influence. Now, what was the influence? See, purpose, placement. Yeah, we can see that. Purpose and placement, we've seen that. Togetherness. Oh, but listen. Testimony and then influence. Influence. When your children ask you in time to come, what mean these stones? Do you know why the children ask it? Because they look at the stones. I get so sick of this phrase. When singers sing, don't look at me, look at Jesus. That's not scriptural. Sinners are supposed to look at you saints. Why? Because Peter said, you to show forth the virtues, the praises of him that's called you out of darkness into light. 
Could it be that the reason no more sinners get saved is because they are looking at the saints and they don't see any joy, they don't see any togetherness, they don't see any thrill. All they see is a whole hum, dreary attitude among some saints who's supposed to be joyous over salvation. I don't blame some sinners for not getting saved by the way some of us saints look. I don't know about you, but I have to apologize to God sometimes for the way I act and the way I look. You say, going out and sin? I'm not talking about sin. I'm talking about my attitude. What kind of influence am I going to have on some sinners? When they look at me, why should they want what I got? Well, he has it set up. Look at the stones. And when you see the stones, ask, hey, why you do this? Why are you living this way? And what I'm telling you, at Pentecost, they said, what meaneth this? In other words, now we've got something we're looking at we don't know what to do with. But oh, listen. It was an empowered church at Pentecost. Oh, hallelujah for an empowered group of people. If there's anything I want, and I won't get off on, that, on, on this, but friend, if there's anything that thrills my soul and operates in my being, it's a desire for the power of God. <clears throat> I had a preacher say to me one day, young preacher, he said, Brother Charles, I believe everything you told me about what you've seen about the power of God. But he said, Brother Charles, when you talk about an old-fashioned move of God, he said, I, I've never seen what you're talking about. He said, the generation that I grew up, they'd never seen the power of God like you're talking about. And he said, I don't know, but I want what you're talking about. The reason some folks don't know what you mean, some young people don't know what you mean when you talk about the power of God, they've never seen it. I'm in the power of God when it falls in a place during a song service or during an offering or sets a preacher on the side. And people begin to just flood the altar. <clears throat> Set you aside in the service. And you don't get to preach. And the power of God. People hit those altars and get saved. Say, it can't be done. Yes, it can. It has been. Just because you hadn't seen it, it doesn't mean it hasn't been there. I know some have seen a lot more than I have. But I want to thank God for some of the things that I've seen. But I want to see it again. I'm not as concerned about what's in the past. I'm concerned about what's in the present and in the future. I want to see what God can do today. I don't know about you, but I feel desperate. You say, desperate for what? To see God operate. Man... We're willing to do whatever, go wherever, and run here to produce whatever for the glory of God. For one reason. He said, what meaneth this? I want God to work in such an unusual fashion that it will blow your mind. That's what happens in Pentecost. Now let's look at it. What meaneth this? This. Look at verse number six. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitudes came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. One day I wrote at the top of my Bible, which I have it here, Sadness that there is no this to be noised abroad in this day. Mm. Now listen to me. I want to ask a question. What this will be noised abroad about you? What this is to be noised abroad about this camp meeting? 
what this is going to be noised abroad in the community of the church where you are. The reason some communities don't want anything to do with the church is because the this that comes from the church is nothing but arguing and fussing and debating and discord and no harmony at all. Let me tell you something. You better be careful what you say and what you do because whatever you say and do is going to be spread abroad. Somebody is going to noise abroad. And what you want noised abroad is that of togetherness, power of God, Holy Ghost, and the mysterious operation of God that causes spiritual curiosity. Or better say, Holy Ghost conviction. Amen. All right, now, what is this? If this is noised abroad, all of a sudden, something is happening. That little word for noised is a good word. Let me just point out this. I remember when I preached a meeting over Brother Claude's church, and I'm sure, Brother Claude, you remember that because we didn't plan to do it in that direction. But I preached on Mark chapter 2 about the four men who let the one man down through the roof. The Bible says it was noised abroad that Jesus was in the house. And that's the reason why they brought the palsied man to Jesus. Would to God, ladies and gentlemen, that that which is noised abroad from this place is Jesus is in the house. Noised abroad. Oh, the word got out. And the multitudes came because the power of the Spirit of God had done an unusual work. Now let's look at verse number 6 where he said, This was noised abroad. The multitude came together and were confounded. I know that you think when the Spirit of God first operates, he's going to clear up your thinking. But this word for confounded is the word that means to throw in disorder. said, what do you mean? He's going to throw you into disorder because you are basically in order fleshly-wise. Your thinking is not like his thinking. You say, but I thought God was straightening us out. Yes, but he's going to have to show you how you are and where you are before he can straighten you out. Well, here's a word that's an interesting word because it means to stir up with disorder. All of a sudden, they... They were like a round pig in a square hole. It just didn't fit. How do we handle this? One of the things we need to do with sinners is give them time under Holy Ghost of conviction for God to work on them. Now you've heard me say, I believe a person gets saved all one service. I really do. I believe he gets saved all one service. But if he doesn't get saved one service... I'm going to stay with him until he does get saved. Now, I don't know how long it's going to be. But I found this to be true. It's not my job to straighten out sinners. It's my job to preach to sinners about Jesus Christ and let the Holy Ghost straighten them out. Amen. And I'm going to preach to every one of them as best I can. The gospel of Jesus Christ. But listen, when the Spirit of God moved, they were confounded. Disorder. Look at these colorful words. I wish they'd had a video. Oh, I wish they'd had an audio. I wish they'd had something to where we could have seen Jesus in his teachings and the Gospels. But we could have seen Pentecost. But the best we got are word pictures. So the multitude came together and were confounded because every man heard him speak in his own language. And they were all amazed. Now, see a little phrase, be amazed. Now that word, it means literally beyond their minds. Here's the phrase of out of their wits. In other words, this doesn't compute. That's a modern day phrase for it. This doesn't compute. Now they're out of their wits. They're at their wits end. Confounded, disorder. At their wits end. Look at this other word. And marveled. John sang a song, The Wonder of It All. This word right here is the word that means to wonder 
with amazement, but with regard. In other words, they didn't want to do with it, but they liked it. Not everybody, but 3,000 of them are going to like it when it's over. In other words, they're saying, I don't want to do with this, but I like it. Hallelujah for those who like it, who don't know what to do with it. And there are many times when the Holy Ghost starts dealing with your heart, especially if you're a religious sinner, that you don't know what to do with it. But he'll get you to a place like you're a round peg in a square hole, nothing fits, your mind is in disorder and disarray, and you can't straighten out your thinking for anything in the world. And after a while, you're going to have to depend on God to get your thinking straight. Hallelujah. Isn't that good? This is, this, this is a word that means to regard with wonder. Oh, I, and I wrote down in my Bible when I was studying this, the wonder of it all, that song, the wonder of it all. And I asked myself, what happened to the wonder of the services? You know, that's right back to what I was talking about a while ago. But where's the wonder in your life? Where's the wonder where people look at you and say, boy, look at that. Look at that. There's something marvelous, something stupendous about that Christian right there. Man, that's, a, that's somebody I can regard the way they think. I can regard the way they act. I can regard the way that they walk. But you know what's killing us today? The services have lost their wonder. Yeah, you wonder where they're at. That's good, Brother Ralph. Yeah, well, I wonder where God went. Man, I mean, people come to church like talking about the weather and talking about their jobs and they're talking about everything else. They're not coming and saying, boy, I wonder what God's going to do tonight. wonder what God's going to do today. Did you hear what God did here last night? I can't wait to get back and see what else he has done. Because when you get to wondering, not wondering, but wondering, when you get to wondering, you're going to show up just to see what happens. They regarded it with wonder. There ought to be something about us children of God that's so influential and so contagious that sinners just like to be around us. Not all of them, but the ones who wonder about the wonder that's in us. I can't emphasize this enough. If you want to influence sinners, don't call on the preacher to preach a better sermon. You live a better life. You show them. You show them. Show them what? You show the miraculous miracle of the preacher's message. See, what we're needing is not preacher's messages alone, but we're needing the miraculous lives of those who verify the message as valid. You know what I mean, preacher? In other words, if the preacher up there says you're a new preacher in Christ Jesus and you're different when you get saved, don't let the sinner look at you and you claim to be saved and you're still just like the world. All we need is people who create wonder in services. And you don't create one. Now, you can create your own wonder. And I've been in services and I wondered when we was going to get out. I've been in some and I wondered what was going on. And I've been in some that when I left, I still wondered what went on. I wondered how we ever got there. But these people are wondering with regard. They marveled. Boy. But now look at, there's another word that's used here. Verse number 12. And they were all amazed and were in doubt. Said one to another, what meaneth this? I know the word for doubt means to be at a loss. It means to have no way out to be perplexed. In other words, it means nothing in their minds can come to the conclusion of those apostles and those who are speaking in those languages. They don't know what to do with what they hear. They like it. They're regarding it. But now they're cornered up and they have no explanation for it and they're willing to say, help me. They didn't use the word help me, they used what meaneth this. 
That means apostles, those of you who are speaking, we don't know how to come to the conclusion that you have of what we see. Would you tell us what we need to know so that when we evaluate it, we can come to the same conclusion that you have? In other words, they're not haughty and they're not proud. They are cornered up and don't have a way out. And they're saying, what do I do now? They're going to get worse about that later. When they say, what do we do about the crucifixion? In fact, we crucified the Lord Jesus Christ ourselves. But they don't know that right now. They need some knowledge. They need some help. And so they're saying, what meaneth this? In other words, what conclusion is there? Give me some information. And what the, you, you say, what's that saying? That's like it, that sinner saying to you as a saint. I don't know why you're the way you are. But I regard your testimony and I regard the way you're living. Would you tell me what happened to you? And would you tell me how you got to be the way that you are? I'm at a loss. I can't figure it out. I don't know. You can help a person when they come. Men are full of new wine. Do you know what that word mocking means? I can show you a lot better than I can tell you. It means to take out the lip. I've seen a few like that in meetings. Making fun. Ridiculing. I've seen teenagers, and I appreciate you teenagers here. But I have literally seen teenagers nowadays laugh and mock and pass notes and all those kind of things when preaching is going on. And you can correct them nowadays and they'll get mad. They won't feel sorry. Boy, there was a day you could correct them and they'd come to the altar and apologize for being in God's house and disrupting God's services. But nowadays you rebuke one of them and they'll crucify you and talk about you and laugh and ridicule and mock you. Boy, I'm in there, some of them, not just teenagers. I've seen some adults, mm, and they literally stick it out, but they'd fold their arms this way, and I knew they didn't like what I was saying. And when I was a younger preacher, I took them on. That's the silliest thing I've ever done in my life. Because then I'd look at him and say, hey, he doesn't like it. I'll find me a verse of scripture to get him. And you know what I did? I got the devil in me trying to get out of them. Because <laughs> I got my mind off of the rest onto him. Mm -hmm. Boy, you know, if anything going to distract the preacher or distract others, it's just to get your mind off of one person and let that person become the issue in your life. And all of a sudden, your old attitude is going to stink after a while, and you won't even know it. All because you got your mind on one person, and that's all you can think about is that one person. So you know what I did? I finally said, leave them alone. Leave them alone. Just check on them every once in a while. <laughs> so I'd look at them every once in a while and see how they're doing. I'd find me somebody else to preach to, somebody who was liking what I was doing. And then he'd come back to them on occasion and turn them over to the Holy Ghost and said, Lord, just you handle them. But I've seen some. They didn't stick out the lip, but they folded their arms. Mm. That kind of looks like a lip sometimes, doesn't it? The way they act in that thing, they don't like it, they don't like it. You can't help people who don't want help. Me a while to understand. I think I'm about to agree with Dr. Lakin. It's such a shame to waste youth on young people. <laughs> he said, about the time you get old enough to know what you're doing, it's time to die. <laughs> what 
what it's all about. It'd been easy for Peter and the rest to get their eyes off on the mockers, the ridiculers, and forget those who needed to get saved. Now you say, what happened, preacher? What happened? Peter stood up and he tied it into the scripture. Look at verse number 14, where he stood up with the rest of the apostles. And the last part of that verse said, be this. Look at this. The this known unto you and hearken to my words. Boy, that little word for known right there means acquaintance. And the second one means to listen with attention. He said, I want to acquaint you with this knowledge. And then I want you to listen to me. It means to sit on the edge of your seat. I want you to sit on the edge of your seat, he said, and I want you to listen to what I've got to say. Because he ties it into Joel, and he talks about the spirit of the God coming upon the servants and the handmaidens and people who call upon the name of the Lord being saved in verse number 21. But then he preaches a sermon, and look what he said in verse 22. Hear these words. So he starts talking about the Lord Jesus. In verse number 32, he uses the word this again. This Jesus had God raised up where we are all witnesses. Now here's his point in verse number 32. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you have crucified both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles men and brethren what shall we do? Now let me stop right there and use that little word pricked. When they heard this. Did you notice this? When they heard this. Now this this that they heard replaced the this that they thought. When the this that they heard about Jesus and their responsibility for his crucifixion replaced what they thought about this before Pentecost, they realized they were guilty and said, what must we do? What must we do? But why did they say that? Because they were pricked in their hearts. Now that word prick is the word we use for goading. That the ox driver would take a long sharp pointed stick and when he drove an ox, if that ox got rebellious, he would jab the ox and the ox would move. Well, the Holy Spirit would jab when the preaching. I think Strong's Concordance gave the best definition I could find on that word prick. It means to pierce thoroughly and agitate violently. Somebody says, well, I don't believe there's any feelings in salvation. Would you tell me how you can be pierced thoroughly and agitate violently and not feel it? And I don't think everybody has the same degree of sorrow. I don't believe everybody has the same degree of conviction. But I believe that they have whatever is necessary to produce the salvation. The pricking, whatever's there, there's going to be a pricking. I won't ever forget this lady, and some of you heard me give this testimony. But I won't ever forget this lady in Memphis when I was preaching. And uh, she came down that Wednesday morning. I was preaching the morning service. She was somewhere, I guess, in her 60s. And she touched me on the arm. And I looked up. And she put her hand right here and she said, You have cut me. I said, Ma'am, what? She said, You have cut me. She said, ever since you started preaching Sunday morning, she said, you've cut me apart. She said, I've been so miserable. So the last two nights, I got so bad off in the middle of the night, I had to go to the drugstore and buy me some Bengay. She said, I have hurt so bad inside that I had to get me some Bengay. And said, I rubbed that Bengay on me both nights. And she said, you know what? Bengay don't have a bit. I said, what is your problem? She said, I'm as lost as a goose in the sandstorm. I said, do you know that? She said, I sure do. I know that. I said, do you know what to do about it? She said, I sure do. I said, well, get down there and get it done. And she no sooner hit the altar, God saved her just like that. And I was only seen her a couple of times since. And both times she hollered at me and said, hey, preacher, Ben Gay don't help a bit. I don't know what else was said at Pentecost, but the scripture said, and with many other words. Not everything was recorded at Pentecost that happened.
but everything was recorded by the Holy Ghost that he wants us to know. But I'd like to know the rest of what he said. Because whatever it was, when he talked about repentance and remission of sins, and that experience with the Lord and getting baptized as a result of those remissions of sin, whatever it was, was enough that the Bible said they that gladly received the word were baptized. Let me tell you something, friend. When you do get saved, there's going to be a glad, 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 glad part of that experience that you can't put into word, and you're going to have some kind of joy. I don't know how it's going to be. You may not jump up and down, but there'll be peace in your heart, and there will be joy that's going to affect you because of what Christ did for you. They that gladly received the word were baptized, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. That was just the beginning. Just the beginning. 3,000 saved. Wouldn't you like to see something like that again? Sure would. But God taught me a lesson with this. I'm going to close this morning. God taught me a lesson. Son, always look for one. Always look for one. If a shepherd had a hundred sheep and he left ninety-nine and went after the one, and the woman had ten coins and swept the house for the one that was lost, then hallelujah, I'm going to preach for one. Mm. Always one. It takes one to get a multitude. It takes one to get two. And you got to start somewhere with one. And yet some, you know, I've heard, I've heard people say in a, in a meeting, Brother Charles, how many people did you have saved this week? And I've said, one. And their countenance falls. I don't want to throw a book at them. You say, why? Because Jesus taught the value of a soul so high that it cost him on the cross to redeem them. I want to tell you something. If you gain the whole world and lose your own soul, what, what reward is there in that? What value is that? So, you might say one's not important. But friend, when that one was me, yeah. that day there wasn't but one saved where I was, but I want to tell you that one was worth everything because it was me. And if that one's you, it's worth everything. Let's stand for our prayer, please.